Good morning, good news of Bible Church. Happy Resurrection Sunday, happy Easter Sunday. We celebrate today the risen Savior, risen Jesus Christ, who has come to the world to save the worst of sinners, which we are included in. Today, I want to take us into the text of John chapter 20. John chapter 20, starting with verse 24 and reading on through 29. John chapter 20, starting with verse 24, says this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Verse 26 reads this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Will you join me as we pray for the Lord's leading? Heavenly Father, we come before you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, one who created us, the one who breathes life into us, the one who gives us our sustenance day by day. We ask, especially on today, this holy of days, this day that we come to remember the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. We pray that you administer to our hearts through your word, through your spirit, Lord God. We pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. And so, Lord God, will you cause us to be children who love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, I pray for anyone who's watching this. Anyone who's watching this, who may even have been coming to church for a while, who, who may claim to even be children of yours. Well, God, we pray for, for those who may be streaming in for the first time. Well, God, those who may not know you, we pray that today they may come to know you, the power of your resurrection, Jesus Christ. So minister through the power of your spirit, as in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You know, I uh, have been in youth ministry for quite some time. I'm, I'm in my early 40s right now. I kind of got started as a teenager and uh, have, have walked with countless generations uh, or eras of, of uh, teenagers over the years. And they're, especially with men, I would say this, young, young men, there's always one argument that, 
any group of teenagers, when you put them together, any group of guys, they're going to argue about this. And this is the question. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Now, when I was growing up in high school, those the, the glory years of the Chicago Bulls, and, 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 and there were some options, Larry Bird or Magic Johnson, but, but 90% of the people would have agreed that Michael Jordan was the greatest. And, and then comes along after Michael Jordan's retirement, um, Kobe Bryant kinds of kind of rises to the top. And, and so 90% of people would say, well, Kobe Bryant is the best. And, and now you, you kind of had LeBron James and, and maybe even now there's inkling of, of maybe some others coming along after LeBron James. And, you know, I, I would, I would give LeBron James his credit that right now in this era, in this generation, I, I believe it's hard to argue against him being the greatest current player in NBA uh, NBA uh, amongst NBA teams right now, amongst NBA players right now, right? He, uh, he's an offensive monster. He's a defensive monster. He gets rebounds. He gives assists. He's made the NBA finals eight times over his years uh, in, with two different teams. And most likely the NBA season was still going on right now. He would be going in for his ninth time. But there's one issue with LeBron James in my mind is that although he's been to the finals eight times, he's only come back with a championship ring with the trophy three of those eight times that I went to Chicago public schools. I'm not the greatest mathematician, but I think that's roughly about 30%, right? Um, 30% is, is a failing grade. 30% is, is, is not really all that amazing. 30% is, is a low, low F, right, uh, in, in education systems. Uh, Michael Jordan, right? Michael Jordan was an amazing scorer. I mean, he took the NBA to a whole nother level with his dunks. I mean, th there was nothing like him. He was defensive all-star. Um, he, he made other players around him good. He took players who were kind of at the end of their career and, 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 and made them somebody again. Right. Um, and yet the, the, the thing that really sticks out to me about Jordan is that he went to the finals six times, six times, and he came back every single time with the trophy, a hundred percent success rate. He went to win it all and he pushed himself and others to win it all. We we appreciate people who who come with receipts, as as younger people call it today, right? Receipts, proof, evidence uh, that that you can do, that you can accomplish what you say you can accomplish. Um, Michael Jordan came with the receipts. In this passage, we're going to see that Jesus comes with receipts to disprove the unbelief of one of his disciples. Thomas, who we know today by one nickname, Doubting Thomas. And there might be some people listening. There might be some people listening who are skeptics, uh, who, who have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ because, because you have questions, because you have unbelief. There may be Christians. There may be people who have been in the church, who have been walking with Christ, who, who still have questions, who still wonder about Jesus and the authenticity of his scriptures and, and the authenticity of his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, this message is for you. Now, let's say you're not in one of those categories. Let's, let's say that, right? Well, you have friends, 
you have neighbors, you have co-workers who would fit in one of those categories of either a skeptic who's outside of the faith, who's not yet put their trust because they have questions, or, or you walk with believers um, who, who are more prone to question, more prone to, to wonder, more prone to ask questions, right? Uh, so pay attention to this message as we walk through this verse by verse. Starting with verse 24. It starts off with, and Jesus came, is in this verse, right? Jesus came. Now, Jesus is not just a God that's far off, but he's a God who is near. He's a God who comes. He's a God who appears. And as I was studying this idea of coming and, and looking up other usages of this word throughout the scriptures, I saw a pattern, specifically in the Gospel of John, how the word come or came or 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 became appears over and over again almost in every chapter of, of the gospel of john i think there's there's a thread here that flows through the whole book so john 1 14 let's start off with that the word became flesh and dwelt among us the word became flesh god became a man born into a baby, right? Uh, raised as a child, becoming an adult. He became man. He dwelt amongst us, yet was not one of us, right? In the sense that he never gave in to sin. He always stayed above the fray. But Jesus, the word became flesh. John 3, 2, when Nicodemus went to Jesus late at night, he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, a teacher come from God. He recognized, and other rabbis recognized as well, that yes, he was a teacher, but not only that, he was a teacher who came straight from God. God sent him to us to teach us, to break forth truth to us. In John 4, 25, the woman at the well says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus expresses himself as this Messiah who is not coming in the future, but who already came. The idea of a Messiah was, was, was the, the, the Jewish people, the people of God understood that the way that God created the world became tainted, became, became polluted because of sin. When Adam and Eve ate from that fruit, when they rebelled against God, when they followed after the path of Satan, the sin entered the world that, that decays everything, that corrupts everything, that brings death into this world. And so this Messiah is one who would come, who would be the perfect king, who would be the, the, be the perfect ruler, who would reverse the curse that was started. Reverse the curse that had begun. Reverse the curse that, that was spreading throughout the, the earth. John 6, 14. When the, when the people saw the signs that he had done, they say this. This indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. The prophet, the one who speaks on behalf of God himself. The one who calls out sin and yet points to, to a hope of redemption for those who would turn. This prophet who was to come came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. John 9.39 says this, Jesus himself says, I came into this world that those who do not see 
may see. He came to give sight to the blind, those both physically and spiritually. In, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that those who are in death, those who are walking zombies, may have life, and not just life, but have it abundantly. In John eleven thirty eight, 38, Jesus deeply moved. He, he came to the tomb of Lazarus four days after he was dead already, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. He speaks to him to come out, and Lazarus responds. This is the Jesus who comes. He comes with showing his receipts, that he could raise the dead. He could give sight to the blind. John 12, 15, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. Here comes this king in peace, not in wartime. This king who comes to offer people to come and enter into his kingdom. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, no, no. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is wrestling with what lies ahead for him. And he asks Father, save me from this hour. Is this what I should pray? And he says, no. For this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is why I became flesh. This is why I came to the earth, so that I may go to the cross and pay once and for all the sin of the world. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light. Jesus shines forth light in darkness. He allows us to see the way, the path uh, that leads to him. John 12, 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus did not come as a judge to condemn. He came as a, as a, as a brother to save his little brothers and his little sisters. John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Jesus talks about this, this mansion that he's preparing for his people, for his, his brothers and sisters, uh, for those who put their trust in him, that he will come again and bring us to himself. He is coming, and no man knows the day or the hour, but it, it is coming. Jesus is coming. And then finally, John 14, 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Know this, that maybe you feel alone, but Jesus promises that he will come to you. And is this Jesus that we look to who already came? And is this Jesus we look forward to who is coming? He is the eternal king who has reigned from the beginning and will reign until the end. Now, so Jesus came already previously 
And this is, this is after his resurrection. This is after he went to the cross and he was buried and he rose again. And, and a few people started seeing him. First, some of the women who went to the tomb. And, but then the disciples who were waiting in the, in the room, in the apartment with the door locked because they were fearful of who would come and, and get them in the same way that they got their, their Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus walks into the room. He, with the door locked, he appears and he says, peace be with you. Here, there was one issue. There was one problem. So Thomas was not there. Thomas was gone. And the scriptures don't tell us where he went, but maybe he just went, ran to the grocery store to, to, to get some tissue. Maybe he, he went to go the barbershop to get a, a fresh lining. Maybe he went to go visit his twin that talks about him having a twin, right? Uh, maybe he went to go visit his sick parents. We don't know. But I, I don't, we don't get the impression that, that Thomas knew that Jesus was coming and, and he said, yo, I don't really want to see Jesus. No, no, no. He walked out and Jesus comes in. The risen Savior comes in and appears to the disciples. <laughs> Yet Thomas is not there. He's not present. Verse 25 reads, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I, I, I will never believe. The disciples say this, the other ten disciples say, we have seen the Lord, the resurrected Lord. Imagine this. We're not talking about, yo, I just saw Jojo down the block. We're not talking about, yo, I just saw... Uh, Pete from, from, from high school who we graduated with 20 years ago. No, no, no. We saw the Lord. We saw Jesus who was dead. We saw Jesus who we didn't think would ever be back. We saw Jesus, the one that they pierced in his hands and in his feet. We saw him alive. Now, the interesting thing as you read this previous passage that talks about the story, that talks about this account right before this, John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23, you see that, that the disciples say, yeah, we've seen the Lord. That's, that's one piece of the puzzle. That's one piece of the story. But there's a lot of details that they left out. And, and as you read through that passage, you see that there's at least four details that they left out. One is that the door is locked and Jesus appears out of nowhere and says these words, four words, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Why would he say this? Well, you got to remember again, their whole life is in disarray right now. Their whole life is in confusion right now. They don't know what's going on. They, they don't know if, if the soldiers are going to come and get them next, if they're going to put them up on a cross, if, if they're going to lock them up in jail. They don't know if the mobs are going to come to attack them. Uh, they, they, they don't know if, if, if there's any hope or future ahead of them. They are totally confused. And Jesus comes in the room and he says, peace be with you. These are four powerful words. Now, peace doesn't deal with your circumstances as much as it deals with your condition in the midst of circumstances. Let me say that one more time. Peace doesn't deal with our circumstances as much as it deals with the condition 
with my condition or our condition in the midst of our circumstances, right? This is why in the midst of the storm, Jesus could be asleep in the midst of the storm in the boat, right? Because it doesn't matter what's going on around. It matters where he's at in the midst of what's going around, right? In the midst of a COVID-19 epidemic and, and pandemic, and, and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know how long this is going to continue. We don't know if it's going to affect one of us or a loved one or if it already has, right? We don't know what the outcome is going to be. And Jesus speaks peace, Again, not saying that he's going to keep us from COVID-19 necessarily. Not saying he's going to keep us from cancer. Not saying he's going to keep us from poverty. Not saying he's going to keep us from tribulations and trials. But he says he will give us peace in the midst of it. The second thing that they left out, uh, as we read that previous passage, is that he showed them his scars. <laughs> he showed them the receipt <laughs> of his his death upon the cross and the punishment that he took on our behalf. He let them see the, the nail marks that were pierced in his hands and, and in his feet so that he could hang on the cross and die for you and to die for me. He paid the ultimate sacrifice that we can not pay. The third thing that they left out is that he gave them their mission. He said this, he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. In the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your discouragement, know this, that I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to send you out into the world in the same way that God the Father sent me. You have a message to take to other people, to tell them peace be with you. The fourth thing that they left out of, of their description to Thomas, to the missing disciple, was this, that Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit that was promised to them, that when Jesus said, I must depart so that the Comforter will come to you. These other ten disciples are walking around with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> They're the first ones ever to have this. <laughs> They're the first one to have the indwelling Holy Spirit within them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go as, as tasks were needed, as, as supernatural events were to take place. The, the Spirit would fall upon Samson and leave. The, the Holy Spirit would fall upon Saul, King Saul, and leave, and David, and leave, and, and others, right? But, but Jesus promises this Holy Spirit that will live within them, <laughs> that would be their, their lifelong comfort. That would be their lifelong guide and counselor. That would be their lifelong uh, director into the truth. Imagine Thomas feeling left out of all of this. He has no Holy Spirit with him. He, he, he doesn't know about his mission. He, he, he doesn't know about the scars in Jesus' hands and feet. He doesn't know that he has peace. And what Thomas says right after this is, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas wants to see and feel the scars. There's, there's two other um, parts in, in the Gospels, and both in John, where, where Thomas speaks. Thomas is not one of the disciples that we hear a lot about. 
that we see a lot. We, we hear of his name, but, but there's two times where he speaks. In John chapter 11, verse 14 through 16, when Jesus is getting ready to go to Lazarus' tomb, Jesus says this, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I could imagine the other disciples like, whoa, Thomas, slow down here. What are you talking about? In Thomas's mind, what he was hearing Jesus say is that Lazarus is dead. We have to go to him. We have to go to death so that we could be with our friend Lazarus. And in Thomas's mind, it's like, yo, Jesus, if you're going to die, I'm going to die too. I'm not leaving your side. Thomas was this, we get this idea that he was a deep feeler. He was a deep emotional individual. In John 14, 1 through 7 says this, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. Do you know the way to where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus starts speaking about this this, this house that he's preparing for them. And he's saying, yo, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get some stuff ready. And, and, and I'm going to call for you guys. And, and you guys will meet me there. And Thomas is thinking, man, Jesus, I don't remember you talking about this. Was I asleep at this moment? Um, did, did I miss out on this? Like, I just don't remember this story, Jesus. How do we know where you're going? And how can we know the way? Thomas is the disciple who speaks up. Thomas is the one who asked the question. Thomas cannot imagine a life apart from Jesus Christ. He, more than anything else, wants to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, even if it means his death. Now, some people's unbelief can be overcome through the testimony of another. For some people, it would have been enough that the disciples said, we have seen Jesus. Oh, Bet you saw Jesus, I believe that he's resurrected again, right? But not Thomas. Thomas is a feeler, and he needs to feel his doubts away. He has doubts and that, that, that need to be answered by God and God alone. It was not enough that others saw Jesus. He needs to see and touch the receipts for himself. Verse 26 says this, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Eight days later, after Jesus first appeared to the ten disciples without Thomas being present. Eight days after Thomas makes this statement that I will not believe unless I see his scars and touch his scars. Eight days later, one day over a week. Can you imagine Thomas being this feeler? Being this person who, who has all these questions going on in his head. Why, why, why did Jesus come by when I wasn't present? 
Does Jesus not love me? Why are all their, cert, uh, their questions answered? Why are they so certain? And I'm the only one asking questions. Why, why do they have the indwelling Holy Spirit in them who's, who's comforting them and guiding them to truth and, and I'm left without? Did, did I miss my opportunity? Did I miss my chance? Did, did I do something or say something to offend Jesus in those three years that he, he, he would not appear to me for eight days? He's wrestling through this, these questions that won't go away. And yet until, until Jesus shows up. And now the doors are locked again because they're fearful that the soldiers are going to come and get them in the same way that they got Jesus. Now, doors are, are locked to keep people out, right? We, we lock our doors so that strangers don't come in and take our food in the middle of the night or walk off with a TV, right? But doors cannot keep Jesus out, as we see in this passage. No temporal door nor eternal door can keep Jesus out. And, and when, I, when I think of doors in scriptures, I think of Genesis 3 when, when Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. And God appears to them and he covers their shame. But yet there's a consequence that they have to leave the Garden of Eden. They have to leave this land of paradise. They have to leave the tree of life that if they ate from, they would live forever. They were cast out. And in front of the entryway, a door is closed and cherubim are placed in front of the door with, with fiery swords to guard anyone, any human from ever coming back because sin has separated us from God. Sin has separated us from his holy presence. We rebelled against him and if we came into his presence, we would, we would be destroyed for eternity. So they were cast out of this garden for life. But Jesus, he came to the earth to unlock that door. He came to the earth to open that door so that we may have access to the Garden of Eden again, that we may have access to the tree of life again, that we may drink from the living water and thirst no more. Jesus came to break that door open. This is why in Revelation 3.8, he could say to the church, behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Not only did Jesus open it, Jesus keeps it open. <laughs> no one could shut it again. Not Satan, not our doubts, not our questions, not our confusion, not our weaknesses, not our sin. For those who put their hope in Jesus Christ, the door is open for us to the tree of life. The door is open for us by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Now verse 27. says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas, listen, I know you have concerns I know you have questions. I know you've been struggling for eight days and they seem like they've been going on forever. Well, let's do this. Put your finger here. Check out my receipts. <laughs> they are legit. 
You could see and feel where the nails went in for you, Thomas. Not just for the other 10 disciples, but for you as well. In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your questions, Thomas, the, the, the nails were pierced for you. I went to the cross on your behalf. And then he tells them, do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, Jesus doesn't wait until Thomas's unbelief was gone before he came. Jesus is not waiting eight days until, until Thomas checks all the boxes off and answers all the questions and, 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 and has had, had a great morning of prayer and revival. No, Thomas is still doubting right now. This is why Jesus tells him, do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is the one who comes to us in our disbelief and makes us believe. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one who comes to us in our disbelief and makes us believe. We can't take our disbelief away by ourselves. We can't reason it away by ourselves. Jesus has to do that for us. Now, we give Thomas the nickname Doubting Thomas. But really the only difference between Thomas and many of us is that he made his doubts known. Many of us walk away, around as though we don't have doubts, as though we never have questions, as we believe everything that, that we've been taught from the scriptures, that we believe everything about Jesus, that, that we, we believe all the truths that we're supposed to believe. But deep down in our hearts, there's questions, there's doubts. Maybe for some it's stronger than others, but for all of us, it rises up every once in a while. Maybe it's just, I haven't read my Bible this week. I, I fell into sin that I said I would never fall into again too many times this week. Can Jesus really love me? Can the Father really hold my salvation in his hands? We doubt. We have questions. And we need receipts. <laughs> We need God to show up. We need Jesus to show up to prove the receipts to us that it is paid and it is paid in full, that, that we have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the key is not to live absent of doubts, but rather to bring our doubts to the one who can answer our doubts. <laughs> The key is not to live absent of doubts, but rather to bring our doubts to the one who can answer our doubts, to the one who could bring a solution to it. Verse 28, look at Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. It's when Jesus shows up that Thomas can with confidence say, my Lord and my God, my Lord. I now believe that you are ruler over all, including myself. God, I know that you are the creator. I know that you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. And notice the, the intimacy of what he is saying here. My Lord and my God. Not simply the Lord of my mother or my grandmother, not simply the God of the other 10 disciples, but he is my Lord and my God. And in the midst of my doubts, I'm imagining Thomas thinking, in the midst of my doubts, 
you have appeared to me. You have not forgotten me. You have not abandoned me because of my weakness, but you have showed up. You are my Lord and my God. Church tradition tells us that Thomas took the gospel to India, to the nation that we know of India today, and that he was martyred by having a spear run through him. Quite a fitting death of one who wanted to see and touch the spear mark in the side of his master and who wanted to be reunited with Jesus even if it meant death. Thomas's doubts, because Jesus showed up, became his strength. It became his, his confidence. It became his conviction to give up his own life for the sake of his Lord and his God, Jesus Christ. Verse 29 will end here. Blessed are those, Jesus says, who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus appeared to thousands, thousands in his three years of ministry. He fed 5,000 plus. He fed another 7,000 plus. He, he gave sight to the blind. He, he, he called the lame to walk. He, he, he healed the demon possessed. He appeared to literally thousands in his three years of ministry. But that is a small drop in the ocean of eternity. There have been billions of people who have never seen Jesus as Thomas did. There are, have been billions of people who have never touched Jesus as Thomas had the opportunity to do. There have been billions of people throughout history who have never been healed by the touch of his hands. We all, everyone listening right now, watching right now, fit in this category. None of us have seen or touched Jesus Christ. This verse tells us that we are blessed if we believe. We have the gospel message because someone delivered it to us. Someone passed it on to us. For, for some of us, we had an upbringing that instilled the truth into us from an early age. You have been blessed. For some of us, we were able to be convinced intellectually as a, as a teenager or as an adult. We have been blessed. For some of us, maybe we sense a bit of Thomas in us. We feel as though there's more days of unbelief than days of belief. If that is you, there are three things that you can walk away from this passage of Scripture with. One, to be okay with publicly stating your unbelief. Thomas did. King David did many times, many of his poems were, were his questions, were his doubts that he wrote out that became songs and prayers to God. It's okay to publicly state your unbelief. That allows brothers and sisters around you to come alongside of you and encourage you, build you up, to, to help point you to scriptures, to help point you to Jesus Christ. If you don't make those doubts known, 
you are wallowing in them all by yourself and they will swallow you up. You will drown in them. Second, be okay with waiting for Jesus to deliver the receipts to you. It may be eight days. It may be eight months. It may very well be eight years. But if you ask, Jesus will answer. If you seek, he will be found. If you knock, the door will be opened unto you. Third, even as you struggle with unbelief, speak the truth that you know to be evident in Scripture. Speak it over and over again. That he is my Lord and he is my God. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who holds my salvation in his hands. I do not. He does. He is the one who protects me from the, the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy me. He is your Lord. He is your God. Scriptures tell us in the Sermon on the Mount that he is God of the poor in spirit, not the mighty in spirit. It's okay to, to have doubts as long as we come to Jesus, as long as we come to God with those doubts and let him be our savior. Let him answer those questions. Let him answer those doubts. Next, I want us to be reminded on this Easter Sunday that we serve a risen savior who's in the world today. He still raises the dead. He's still the light of the world. He still gives sight to the blind. He's still the Messiah that is renewing his broken creation. He's still the prophet who provides hope in the midst of correction. He's still coming back to, to bring his children home with him. Yet, he is seen and touched through his body, his present body, the church of the living God, through us, through me, through you. Jesus still does come with the receipts to disprove the unbelief of the world. His receipts just have our flesh on them. These receipts may be a little wrinkled. They may, the ink may be faded a little bit. But if we allow people to get close enough, if we allow people to look at it intently enough, sure enough, they will see that it reads, peace, be with you. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that your word carries out the purpose for which it is sent that your word speaks life to us where it's so needed. Your word is, is sweet <laughs> news. It is good news that it is not my assurance. It is not my certainty. It is not my lack of of doubt that will keep me in you. But it is you, Jesus Christ, who has come into this world 
who lived amongst us for 33 years, who went to the cross on Calvary, whose arms were stretched wide, who breathed his last, said it is finished. Jesus, you paid it all, all to you we owe. Sin has left the crimson stain. Your blood has washed it. Your blood. And it is that that we cling to. Father, we pray for those who may be prone to disbelief, may be prone to doubt, may be prone to question. God, will you come to them right now? Will you give them certainty of your presence in their life? God, if, if, there, if there are those who are watching and listening who have not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ, who cannot say, my Lord and my God, Father, we, we, we know that today is the day of salvation. We pray that you might do a work, that you might save today, that you might give sight to the blind, that you might raise the spiritually dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.